Folks, welcome back to Falling Out. It's now 2024. You made it into the new year collectively. I'm glad that you're here with me and I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad for the break that I took. And I'm sorry that break was taken in the middle of what I think are a momentous pair of episodes. But I'm delighted to be bringing you the second half right now. I hope you've listened to part one of my interview with Faith Yen where we discussed in detail the who's who of famous war criminals and other nefarious characters that profited from and abetted the rise of the Unification Church. Part two, right here, doesn't get any better, my friends. (laughs) No, sir, it does not get any better. In fact, it gets a whole lot worse. I think for listeners who didn't grow up in the Unification Church, of which I know many listen to this show, it may be hard to grasp what it was like to be raised within it, to be told that you were part of this amazing movement that was going to help save the world. Only to find later on that you were manufactured, you were bred into existence to be a cog in a great and terrible machine. A machine which you will hear in this episode is responsible for murders, responsible for funding death squads. Responsible for toppling governments. Responsible for providing cover for war crimes. Responsible for propping up the agenda of a murderous regime. And it's really quite something to come to grips with that. The fact that you as an individual were bred to be a cog in that machine and that is what all of your suffering was for. It was for the sum total, the grand output of the great and terrible machine. You're probably going to want to have a few drinks few joints, a few whatever you enjoy. I don't judge around here. And you may need something to help you deal with the feelings that you may feel when you listen to this. Thank you again to Faith Yen for getting involved and for doing this episode with me. I got a lot of good feedback after doing the last one. If anyone would like to contact me, I'm available at info at fallingoutpod.com as well as on various social media platforms. Thank you all. Please enjoy the great and terrible world it's sir here it goes okay let's get started okay cool uh okay so we are coming back to the article written by peter mcgill um we reviewed about half of it last time around, and we are now coming to the section uh, entitled American Expansion and Reaction. 
this section starts with a paragraph and a photo. I'm going to read the paragraph and then describe the photo. Um, Here's the paragraph. Unification Church expansion in the United States began after Moon moved there with his rapidly growing family in the early 1970s, settling in a sprawling country estate in Terrytown in the Hudson Valley outside New York City. His religion appealed to young people seeking a communal ethos but turned off by the drugs and free love of the hippie counterculture. Converts hawked flowers and candles at airports and street corners and with money also pouring in from Japan. The Unification Church bought the New Yorker Hotel in Manhattan, a seafood operation said to supply half of the sushi sold in the United States. It's actually about 90%. A cable TV network, a recording studio, and a shipbuilding firm. I just want to note one thing um, about this. Uh, I just saw the film Barbie over the weekend. Uh, Some of the music for the Barbie film was recorded in the Manhattan Center Studios, which is owned by the Moonies. And uh, I also want to make the point that this particular paragraph sort of encapsulates the time and place that sucked in my parents and presumably Faith's parents and most of the parents um, of the folks that I have interviewed on this show so far. This paragraph is sort of a nice encapsulation of the the, the time and place and setting of that. I am... And the photo that accompanies this section uh, is a photo of Sean Moon, a.k.a. Hyungjin Moon, a.k.a. Gun Cult Leader, um, sitting on a crown, sorry, sitting on a throne with a crown and an AR-15, his wife and three other people around them also holding guns and a photo of Moon in the background. That's how this. I love starts. that this journalist used a photo from "How Well Do You Know Your Moon," which is a blog started by. I know, I know. Oh wait, we got to we got to take that out. That's that's not public info. Uh, it's uh, uh, a blog started by a very good friend of ours. But yeah, shout out to "How Well Do You Know Your Moon." Yeah, you're right. This like this uh, this academic journalist is like is quoting "How Well Do You Know Do You Know Your Moon." Fucking love it. Well, using a photo, yeah. Well, using a photo, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I got to be honest. This whole second half of the article, we kind of stopped in a perfect place because everything here on eight, here on out, is talking about um, just kind of all of the time wasting, money wasting bullshit that the Moonies were involved in. And it's like Reverend Moon's job was to be. The circus ringleader. His job is to create a convincing distraction so that the real business can happen, which is laundering money for the World Anti-Communist League and creating opportunities for what ended up becoming Koreagate and the Iran-Contra affair. So you and I, and a lot of the people listening to this, we were raised in this almost like playland Disneyland environment where we were doing all of these kind of bizarre rituals and tasks. And we kind of just got in the habit of talking about things a certain way and just doing things because they're important to do. And cause Reverend Moon said so. And we've sort of become very comfortable with all of the rhetoric and all of the reasoning behind why we have to do all these events, why we have to fundraise so much, why we have to show up and like all that, all that kind of stuff. And we sort of have only been given 
the version of a story that paints Moon as the person who's in control, who's gaining satisfaction from everything we're doing just because we're doing it. Mm. When in reality, he's taking orders from other people. He's creating the situations that allow for KCIA agents and also American mercenaries later for the Iran-Contra affair to get materials, money, and people to different locations without detection. Mm. That's what being a front group is. We were yeah. fully convinced that like what we were doing had a purpose by itself, but we would not have been asked to do anything Reverend Moon told us to do if there weren't KCIA members, if there weren't weapons manufacturers, if there weren't fascist death squads in South America and impatient white Christian nationalists in the White House using our activities as a way to get through the door, get over national borders, get through airports, etc. So that's what the entire last half of this article is about. The first half was sort of like reminding people, hey, you know that thing in the news you saw of Shinzo Abe getting assassinated? There's actually a huge elaborate story behind it. Let me walk you through the history. So that first half was like the history of where Moon came from, what they've been doing. And then this is more of about like right around the time Park Chung-hee, the, the guy who staged a coup and helped create the KCAA, he gets mm. assassinated. So now South Korea is becoming a democracy, but Reverend Moon's realizing like, wait, shit, I'm still a circus ringleader for a bunch of people who are rapidly losing power in an increasingly modernizing, industrializing, democratizing state of the world, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so then his, re so, so do you think then his reaction is to then sort of double down on on so trying, trying to trying to gain influence kind of kind of like kind of he's he's trying to stay valuable to whoever is in power correct correct and any and and and, and well, part of that is is also like like his his nexus of operations has moved to the u.s so he's trying to almost become more valuable to the people in the u.s but also keep doing shit for the people who are in power in korea effectively so he's kind of playing both sides well it's like I forget where I think we passed this already, but it was just there's a pattern of seeing like older would be retired members of the South Korean army of the KCIA being given assignments to fantastic locations like Mexico, right? It's sort of like you still have a job. We're still telling you to do stuff, but like, the point of us making you the babysitter for Reverend Moon's kids is so you can retire and you can live easy. Like it's an excuse mm. for us to give you money. Like, and that's, this is your pension plan, you know, because mm. when you are friends with people who staged a violent military coup, you don't have a real pension plan. You don't have a 401k. None of this is going to be like by the book, yeah. but they're going to set you up so that you get yours in a situation yeah. where you get to live in a mansion. You get to do no hard manual labor and you get an inflated salary for a job that isn't a real job because mm. they have limited, limitless amounts of cash that they need to get rid of. Yeah. So when I read this, it sort of for the first time became apparent that like Reverend Moon wasn't an able-bodied, goal-oriented messiah. He was an, accepting an assignment to move to the United States to essentially retire with his family. Mm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
is to buy as many businesses as possible so the WACL can launder money through them. And okay. then when he, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, all right. Um, and actually, yeah, so this... <laughs> Um, this article specifically says that by the end of 1975, the main activity of the church was collecting money, buying lots of real estate in Korea and the United States and starting a lot of businesses. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just need a second. Yeah. You th- Jesus Christ, faith. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were saving the world, you know, I, I, I thought I like, thought like, like maybe maybe the guy actually believed that, but no, he didn't. Based on this, he he didn't. Um, you seen Breaking Bad? Yeah. The Unification Church is the chicken franchise. <laughs> the Unification Church is El Pollo Loco. <laughs> Fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. So we thought our whole lives were about chicken and the product really was that good and that's where all the money was coming from. It was not. It was the math. Yeah. It was the world anti-communist league. It was Ronald Reagan and wanting to pull off the Iran-Contra affair. Fucking hell. Wanting to be a war criminal without destroying his image so that he can keep his work in office. Yeah. And you know, like the, I'm just looking at the article here. The the really disturbing part about this is that like, this is all, um, this is all known by the, by the U S government as well. And then it's all gotten kind of forgotten over the years, but I want to, I want to read some of this here. Um, because I feel like it's easy now in 2020 something to sort of forget that actually no the u.s government figured all this shit out back in the 70s but then they looked the other way and i feel like the looking the other way probably has something to do with exactly what you've described as reagan reagan getting into power and understanding that the the uc was sort of a useful tool for his for his own aims um and then things kind of get magically forgotten um well i mean so here's the thing that breaks my brain still a little bit is like we as consumers as working class consumers we're sort of spoon fed through tv shows and movies um this idea that the u.s military the fbi the cia the senate the Con- congress the president they're all unified they all are on the same page they all do things in coordination with each other You know, but the reality is, if you actually look into people who have worked for the CIA and the FBI, especially for CIA, right, because they're doing shit overseas. They're doing shit like spending billions of dollars that they don't have to show receipts for ever. They're just given like carte blanche and like a blank check to do whatever they have to do to come out with cutting edge technology to be able to do like long term deep undercover like espionage overseas it's gotten to the point where like the cia doesn't really have to answer to anybody and as a matter of they're not accountable to anyone right that's completely black box black ops no one and it's like they literally have to keep secrets from whoever the new president is or from whoever takes office every four years every eight years because they have 
people who are deep in long-term missions trying to like dismantle the cartel or dismantle other countries' governments. Like, and they Mm. can't give too much information to somebody who is a politician whose job is to justify all of the U S government's behavior to civilians and to protect their own neck and line their own pockets. It's like, just because somebody holds public office doesn't mean they're a safe person for the CIA to give all of these names and plans to, Yeah, they're going to talk or they're corruptible or they care more about lobbyists and public image than they do the lives of like CIA and FBI agents. Yeah. So government entities are sabotaging each other constantly. They are keeping secrets from each other constantly. And they are also like using tax dollars to do things the American people wouldn't agree with um, or don't know about. So it doesn't surprise me at all with that framework in mind that the CAA knows a bunch of shit and like puts it on the website. And politicians (laughs) don't want people to know that because it would destroy the image of like, we're the good guys. Like we're the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, with that, let me, um, let me read a passage here about the, the career gate, the, the, the career gate incident. Um, there's a few, pa- a few passages here, a few paragraphs here. Uh, a U.S. congressional probe into the Koreagate scandal of influence buying in Washington lifted the lid on close cooperation between the Unification Church and the government of Park Chung-hee. The spark for a wide-ranging investigation into the U.S.-Korea relationship was revelations of corruption by South Korea's chief lobbyist, Tung Sun Park, who funneled money from the KCIA, from the KCIA to members of Congress. Cash-filled envelopes were handed over at lavish parties at the Georgetown Club that Park had founded for entertaining. Park Chung-hee had authorized an aggressive influence-buying operation run out of the Washington Embassy to counter moves to reduce the U.S. troop presence in South Korea and other U.S. military assistance, as well as to roll back mounting criticism of human rights violations by his regime. The chief agent of repression was the KCIA, widely suspected of involvement in the 1973 abduction from Tokyo of Korean opposition leader, the later Nobel laureate Kim Dae-jung. More than three decades later, the successor to the KCIA confessed to the 1973 kidnapping, adding it was possible the plan had been pursued as an assassination. Quote, the 1978 Korea Gate main report by the House of Representatives Subcommittee on International Organizations devotes 100 pages to peeling away layers of shell companies, foundations, and multiple bank accounts of what it dubbed the Moon Organization. I'm going to read that again. The House of Representatives Subcommittee on International Organizations devotes 100 pages to peeling away layers of shell companies, foundations, and multiple bank accounts of what it dubbed the Moon Organization. It's just fucking mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Testimony on the quote, activities of Korean Central Intelligence Agency in the United States takes up another 57 pages. One of the main fronts set up in the United States was the Korean Cultural and Freedom Foundation, conceived by Pak Bohi or Bohi Pak, while still employed as a military attache. 
Initially, its sole project was a children's dance troupe called the Little Angels, described by Unification Church publication as a group of divine principal children who perform traditional Korean dance dances. In later years, they were sponsored as a cultural emissaries by the South Korean government on world tours. Quote, the little angels can be invited to the premier's mansion or the places or the palaces of kings and queens and will be known to the peoples of those nations. If we pick up 20 or more senators from those nations, we can organize a strong group. Out of 10 nations, we can gather some 200 high-level people, Moon said, of their usefulness to the cult. The congressional report noted how, quote, little angels concerts often provided the occasion for Moon and his top followers to mingle with politicians and have pictures taken. Those pictures and endorsements were later used in Moon organization literature to enhance Moon's image as a well-respected figure with powerful friends. The Little Angels were invited to perform before President Gerald Ford at the White House. I just want to say one thing here. This, so Peter McGill, thank you for mentioning this because this, this in some ways, I feel like this is the missing link that a lot of reporters failed fail to grasp is there's a reason behind all i mean yes moving money is is a big part of it as you've mentioned faith but there's a reason behind all this political posturing and all these photo ops with the vips it's because the moon org is afterwards showing those photos to all of their members and saying look the world is now accepting us this is evidence that god's providence is moving through us and moving through moon that's why you should Keep giving of your, keep giving your time, your money, etc. So there's this feedback loop that is that is part of this. So even if none of these politicians took a dime at any of these things, just their presence there is is facilitating and encouraging this feedback loop, this flywheel of manipulation and coercion. So thank you, Peter McGill, for mentioning that because a lot of people miss it. In sales, it's called social proof. Mm, like yep. clout chasing and yep. clout chasing or collecting social proof is a strategy that helps yeah. moon and the unification church in more ways than one. So like you said, it does help sort of reinforce everything they've already been uh, classically conditioning the members to believe without question or criticism. Yeah. It sort of provides the proof of that magical manipulation where it's like, you see how Reverend Moon keeps succeeding and keeps getting to be invited in these rooms with these famous people and these heads of state and the president, all that kind of stuff. It's just proof of everything we've been saying about how the whole universe is in favor of Reverend Moon. He's God's favorite. Of course, he's going to succeed. Of course, we're going to succeed because we have the momentum of this divine spiritual mission. But this social proof also helped Reverend Moon fly under the radar of a bunch of other non-member politicians and a bunch of non-member business owners and investors. Social proof works on people who have not been sleep deprived and food deprived and worked half to death or all the way to death in some cases. It works on the average person. Like, why do you think Kim Kardashian has a career? So literally, Reverend Moon has been playing all of these like influencer tactics to collect influence and become that's his whole job like i said he's the circus ringleader he's the wizard of oz he his whole job is to create smoke and mirrors that make people feel really important and make people feel like 
oh, this is a cool event I can go to. I can rub elbows with this thing. So I can have a photo op with these little kids and ballet outfits. I can look really, it's like people go to him thinking that they're benefiting from him when really he's roping them into a dark money laundering situation. Mm. And in the very next couple of paragraphs, they're talking about moving cash. They're talking about why the FBI had a hundred pages to to say about the moon organization and about KCAA. It's because at these social proof events, Bohi Pak and then another investor, lobbyist Tongsung Park, his job was to go around and bribe the right people, schmooze the right people so that they would not withdraw U.S. troops from South Korea. Mm. All well, of this is yeah, a very clear goal. It was to influence American decisions abroad, and they succeeded. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to... Um... So this section on moving cash, I feel like it's worth reading, reading part, at least some of it from the beginning. Um, do you want to read that or, or shall I read it? Sure, I can do that. So this one's Go called Moving it. Cash. Pak Bohi, or as we call him, Bohi Pak, suggested in testimony to the subcommittee that Little Angels also doubled up as couriers to transport large amounts of cash. Can we just pause there? So like, th- I think this shit exists on tape somewhere. Somewhere yeah. there's a tape of Bohi Pak telling telling the u.s a government that, of congress who was invested yeah. in cults yes <laughs> including, including heaven's gate that's why they stopped investigating cults is because the head of this subcommittee was murdered in, in Guyana. oh shit i didn't know that okay mm-hmm. okay all right so, i didn't know that wow okay yeah so transferring money across international boundaries was extremely important to moon and a constant headache given the strict currency control laws in force at the time From 1972, U.S. law required that persons moving cash in excess of $5,000 in and out of the country had to fill out a treasury report. One solution was to divide money between the little angels with each child carrying less than $5,000 when passing through customs. And I just want to pause here. So like just so people can visualize, if you go to a little angels concert, I've been to a few over over the years. um, Just so you know, it's like... (laughs) The stage is full of like between 50 to 100 like little girls between the age of like five and 10. It's not just like five or 10. It's like a lot of them. It's like a giant dance troupe. So that's why that's how this works basically is by you get this volume of of bodies carrying the cash effectively. In their socks and their carry on and their makeup bags. I think isn't there like a. Biography, a memoir written by the ex-wife of one of Moon's kids. Yeah, Nan So Kong. Yeah, and she, she talks about, about being told she had to hide cash in her makeup bags, and they like yeah. made little secret compartments. I haven't read that book yet. But I yeah. To. Oh, you showed it. That's a great book. That's that's that that's the book that that like led to me leaving basically. So wow, it's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah, it's definitely next on my list. Yeah. Um, I'll keep going. I guess. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Japan had similar requirements to the U.S., as well as limits on converting yen. Converting Korean won to dollars in order to make money out of Korea, take money out of Korea, was legally almost impossible, unless in very small amounts. Yet none of these restrictions stopped the Moon organization from bringing large sums of cash into U.S. In December 1975, Pak Bo-hee opened a bank account in the name of the Unification Church International at the newly founded Diplomat National Bank in Washington. Within 15 months, over $7 million had been deposited in the account, of which over $6 million came from Japan. 
1974, Moon Sung Young opened accounts and time deposits at Chase Manhattan with $995,000, of which about half was in cash. Diplomat National Bank became a scandal within a scandal. Moonies had directly provided at least a million dollars to purchase shares in the bank, equivalent to 45% of its capital, which is like super not allowed. <laughs> Uh, another very, very suspicious. Yeah, another two hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars worth of stock came from Mooney's associates or relatives of Pothbogie. Lobbyist Tungsten Park bought another two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the bank's stock in the names of business associates, using funds from one of his companies. In each case, the investments were divided up, up among nominees to make it appear that no individual owned or had a beneficial interest. In more than 5% of the bank stock. Yeah, that's fucking, that's, that's fucking fraudulent, isn't it? So they sure. owned more than 50% of the bank. They yeah. own this bank, but yeah. they divvy it up on paper with other people's names. Yeah. Just volunteers. Yeah. From pretty, their pretty sure that's like not how the rules are meant to be. Uh, I mean, that's what American Congress is doing right now every day to like use their insider information to make money off the stock yeah. market. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like the Moonies were doing it way back then with an entire fucking bank in Washington, yeah. D.C. Yeah. Um, in 1977, the Securities and Exchange Commission charged Thompson Park, Hawk Volke, and the Diplomat National Bank with securities violations. The subcommittee also concluded that the South Korean government, particularly, particularly the KCIA, had participated in the, quote, establishment and operation of Diplomat National Bank. In Seoul, the bank's chairman, a naturalized American of Korean origin called Charles Kim, had been introduced to the director of the Korean CIA, who smoothed the way for him to meet appropriate banking officials in the government. Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a passage. There's so much happening there. Like, it just. So, this was what the movies were really built for. This is what they were doing. Yeah. We were kept busy and distracted and unable to sort of self-analyze or do yeah. any deeper research by doing dumb shit, like singing yeah. the same 200 songs 58 times for three hours straight before a seven-hour lecture and then going around and begging for money off the street. Yeah, but, but also contributing money directly, at least to the U.S. side, for in, in, yeah. in the case of our parents. And compared to all of the billions of dollars being laundered through us by the World Anti-Communist League and Ruichi Sasakawa, who's the world's richest fascist, all of the money we fundraised and contributed is chump change. Mm. If you think about all of the thousands of multi-million dollar properties that the Moon organization owns in the U.S. alone, let alone like around the world, all of the blessing money and fundraising money that we contributed would have been eaten up in their overhead in like a month. Mm. We're talking billions of dollars yeah. from the world anti-communist league, from people who profited off of their war crimes in world war II. Mm. That's um, where Moon gets all of his cash from. That's why they're as big as they are is because our money was like cute. Like all that blessing and fundraising money, adorable. And it is a lot of money to all of us. Who yeah. can't afford healthcare? Who can barely afford rent? Yeah. But compared to the billionaires who were using Moon to launder money, it's adorable. Yeah. So, what do we know about the about the WACL, the World Anti Communist League? Like, what what's the? They are literally the worst of the worst Nazis 
Yakuza. It's like all of the people who should have it like after these war ends, wars end, yeah. and the US tells citizens like we did it. Here's mm. a holiday. Here's a national holiday. Here's some fireworks for you. Here are all the the stories and photos we're going to tell of our own heroism in our school books. We sort of just assume that like all the worst Nazi scientists, doctors, middle management, all of those people were just like, oh, they don't exist anymore. Mm. I'm sure they went to a jail somewhere, but they didn't. They they founded the and world anti-communistly. And they ended up in the WACL. <laughs> they were granted complete immunity for all of the war yeah. crimes they committed because the U.S. is like, we'll take that, thank you, and then we'll use it on you later. And then they give them jobs. Or they, or they hang out and they do their own shit, right? Mm. That's the World Anti-Communist League. Fuck. And we were like produced as kids to as like a byproduct of the labor machine for that effectively yep i've been so after i took time to sort of get slapped in the face by this article and all of the implications it had for my life like my story of my life to myself i started i've only begun scratching the surface of what unit 731 was okay right of what that covert bioweapons manufacturing plant was and what i've learned is that in imperialist japan in the japan that sadistically colonized south korea and then also was planning to attack the u.s with biochemical warfare during world war ii yeah um they were able in the same way that the u.s feeds us a lot of misinformation and propaganda to manufacture consent for war Japan does the same thing. And so there were all of these youth groups for young Japanese fascists with the intention of like swaying public opinion based on all of the the rallies and the after school clubs and like the community activities, but also grooming these young people Mm. to be completely brainwashed, pussy whipped leaders in the imperialist Mm. army later. So it's like, in a lot of ways, our youth group programs like CARP, STF, MFT, yeah. they were cookie cutter modern versions of those like youth groups mm. that fascist military dictatorships encourage in their communities yeah. to completely change public perception of the war crimes they're committing. Mm. To get people genuinely sold and excited on the identity of being an imperialist because they've been told a completely different story of what being an imperialist means. If that makes sense. Mm. So it's like, think about, think about all the bullshit, like youth group things that we did as Moonies where we were shaming people for getting divorced. We were shaming people for having sex, like the stars program or whatever that was. Yeah. Oh, there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. So many of those like shame-based educational programs. There are yeah. like and so if, many if of them. People yeah. actually came to those public outreach activities and they accepted our invita- invitation to come to like a three-day workshop or a week-long workshop. Yeah. It's suddenly a very slippery, steep pipeline into much harder, much more radicalized. fascist rhetoric about how Mm. homosexuals are disgusting and they need to be lined up and shot right 
That's yeah, it happens quick. Out. It happens quick. They are like three days, three days. You're there. You're, yeah. you're, you're going to get there very quickly. So it starts with the vanilla diet version where yeah. violent fascist undertones are packaged in these crunchy, friendly community activities with yeah. violence implied, like not said out loud. And then once you come yeah. to our three day workshop or a week long workshop, the mm-hmm. mask comes off and we start saying the quiet yeah. shit out loud. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally, totally. Um, the next section is. I kind of I I'm I don't want to interrupt you or anything, but it's like yeah, manufacturing no. guns, Inchon and tunnel vision. Yeah, I feel like most of us were old enough to like remember this happening. Yeah, well, this is a th- this. Now we're starting starting to get into like eighties, nineties. Like we're we're starting to get into everything else like the 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 seventies stuff that was before I was born, before most of us were born. But and now we're starting to get into time, like the timeline that I can at least start to remember some of it. Mm-hmm. I do not remember Inchon, um, although we did an episode on it recently, which was which was really fun. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. good. I love that one too. Uh, so people should go back. I think that, yeah, people should go back and listen to that. Um, but um, but you know what's hilarious is my parents never ever talked to me about that film. Like the like I I only heard about it through like the X Mooney community. It was like clearly something that like because it's know, was, was not a, a point of pride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And rule number one of being a Mooney is you never lose. You only talk about the times you win and the times you lose didn't yeah. happen or you didn't really lose. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, um, there is a section so the, in manufacturing guns that I do want to read. Cause that shit changed my okay. life. If that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. So, please. um, this whole section manufacturing guns is really just diving into how moon came up with Tongil heavy industries and it became a family business and they manufactured guns for the Korean military. They have like sole rights to the to the manufacturing of a certain type of automatic rifle that's sold in the US. But also it goes into how it, it brings up Korea Gate again. So the same year that the Korea Gate report was published, the Daily Mail in London ran an article under the headline, The Church That Breaks Up Families in which the moon cult was described as a maggot feeding on society and its members as, quote, robots, glassy-eyed and mindless, programmed as soldiers in the vast fundraising army with no goals or ideals except as followers of the half-baked ravings of moon who lived in splendor while his followers lived in forced penury. Penury? I don't know how to say it. Penury? I don't know. It's a good word. It's a good, that's a very like, like English word. What? Sorry, I said, I was just gonna say that's a good ass English word, penury. Yeah. Um, it's like lost in the, in the American vernacular, but, um, you know, kind of, it's a, it's a good word, penury. Um, so sorry, you were gonna say, say something, but I just wanna say for context, the Daily Mail is, I mean, this is a tabloid in, in, in the UK for people that know, that don't know. This is a tabloid. Um, it's and I, I mean it's kind of awesome that they wrote this, um, but it is a tabloid. But I mean, look if I mean like, like hats so, off to them for going after the Moonies. Um, 
the Unification kinda... Church tried to sue them for libel. Yeah. Yeah. It was a landmark, like groundbreaking case because they lost, and the Daily yeah. Mail retained the right to say exactly what the fuck they said. Yeah, yeah. And um, then shortly so... after, Moon was thrown in prison for tax fraud. Yeah, this is in '84 in um, mm-hmm. in Danbury, Connecticut. Moon, and then the the reading says Moon has had been. Excoriated, I think that's how you say it. Excoriated. Excoriated by a landmark congressional report, pilloried in the press, and was now a convicted felon. Yet far from being crushed, he was brimming with optimism, thanks to a new occupant in the White House. Ronald Reagan was a fellow old-school anti-communist, whom Moon and the government in Seoul could comfortably back to the hilt. So, when Major General John Singlob, chief... I think that's how you say his name. Singlob is such a ridiculous sounding name to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chief of staff of U.S. forces in Korea and a former field officer of the CIA criticized the troop with the troop drawdown in an interview with the Washington Post. He was relieved from duty and later resigned from the military. In 1981, Singlob founded the U.S. chapter of the WACL, the United States Council of World Freedom. I just think this changed my life because, first of all, in Mooney circles, it's absolutely unheard of to even let people be angry about anything mm. if it's not providence or yeah. hating people who are sinning. So yeah. to understand that the tabloid published an article that called us a maggot feeding on society, mm. saying that line about being glassy-eyed. Um, I remember fundraising as a teenager and people going out of their way to be like, I can see you have glassy eyes right now, like waiting for that mm. to be and they'd yeah. be like, did you know he manufactures guns? Like, I remember so many people saying that to me at gas stations um, when I was, quote unquote, kamikaze the inside of stores, like panhandling until I inevitably get kicked out. I don't know if you ever Is did that, that. I never heard of that. Wait, that's what the fuck? <laughs> this is a side I, note. I was trying to say something larger, but if we want to. No, no, no. I want to know what I want to get kamikaze on the record. What's, so what's like, that about? On NGA, on like the off-brand um, fundraising program that the West Coast yeah. started when people were getting, I don't know, murdered and raped on MFT and STF, yeah. Um, yeah. we would still borrow like jargon from other fundraising teams because we'd be hiring staff who had been with STF for years, right? We would hire second years who had just done a year or two of STF. Okay. So, okay. so the there's crossover that- from the programs. Uh-huh. So kamikaze was just another term for like a fundraising technique. It's like when you get out of the van, you're going to be doing, I don't think we said the box method. I'm think now I think I'm getting my, my sales terms confused with the other face-to-face sales team I joined, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like we had slang terms for like, I'm going to drop both of you off at this corner. You're going to go opposite directions, go up the block and then meet again. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's like, to be let out of the van and told that you're going to kamikaze a store or a mall, it was a very specific instruction that like, okay, we know for a fact that we would legally need a permit to be here. We would have to talk to mall security or store security. We would have to get permission from the manager, but we don't have fucking time to do that because we're just driving through this town for like a yeah. day or three days. So what yeah. we're going to do is I'm going to drop you off outside of this store. I'm going to keep the engine on in the parking lot. Or I'm just going to drive down the block to the next door. 
And as soon as you get kicked out, which will probably be in the next five minutes, 10 minutes tops, I'm going to come back around and pick you up. So the goal is you walk into a CVS or some sort of large corporate chain that definitely has security, that definitely is going to call you a dirty homeless person, right? And you go in and you fundraise, you blitz like as many people as you can, knowing for damn sure that as soon as you walk in the building, the cameras have already seen you. They're already on the way to kick you out. Yeah. So it's how old were you at this time? I was a teenager. So I skipped a grade. I graduated high school when I was like 16 or 17 and I went straight to NGA afterward. Okay. So I think I would have been 17 or 18. You're like 17 and doing this shit. Yeah. Why did I bring that up again? Oh Uh, yeah. Because while I was kamikazeing places, people would be like, Oh, you're a movie yes. and they use the word yeah. movie and that would be yeah. horrifying, right? Yeah. We're the unification church. Yeah. We're a spiritual movement. And then so to hear that the Daily Mail called us a Magadon society, robots, glassy eyed and mindless, saying that Moon, first of all, calling him Moon and not Reverend Moon or Father. Mm. It was just like, yeah. it was like getting splashed in the face with cold water. Yeah. So not only did like the media feel comfortable calling him this, but they threw him in jail. And then like his other allies, I just, I feel like that part about major general John Singlob, he was like a chief of staff for the U S forces in Korea. He wanted the same things that Tongson park had been going around bribing people to agree with at U S embassies, which was, we need to keep U S troops here. We need to be stringently, racistly very bigotedly anti-communist even if it means destabilizing other nation nations Mm. others other like national interests and he got fired so it's just sort of it's illustrating how as after park chung he got assassinated as the as technology is evolving as survivors of world war ii are getting older and having kids like the world is changing and ultimately, like, Reverend Moon only has as much power as he does influence. Mm. The World Anti-Communist League yeah. only has as much power as, as they have influence. And really, like, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter how much money you have, how many properties you own. Yeah. What is equally important is whether or not other people in a room who can put a stop to everything you're trying to do think that you're an authority figure. Yeah. And think that the ideas you're arguing for are valid and important. So I think it's crazy that, like, at that point, things are changing. Reverend gets sent to jail. And at the same time, people who agree with everything that, like, the Unification Church was trying to bribe people to agree with are getting fired. Mm. And just, like, the first place this dude goes, like, ex-U.S. military, is the WACL. Mm. He's like, fine, if you won't let me spew my bullshit anymore i'll just hang out directly with the people who give me a bunch of money mm. i agree with all the same things that i do yeah yeah. People. yeah so it's kind of showing that disjointed relationship between you know you can have a job in the u.s military but somehow what is infinitely more important to this person is his fascist imperialist anti-communist yeah. values yeah, he's willing to get and he's, fired, and, and he's willing to get get fired, and then just 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 you know couple up with whoever is gonna gonna you know 
give them a paycheck and and kind of like aligns with that basically even even if it's not the u.s like the u.s military yeah because really what the moonies have helped do is melt together a religious spiritual worldview and economics Mm. and like military decisions yeah yeah they're all they're all intertwined right and that's i mean even they did do a good job from a sort of theological perspective of like telling us when we were growing up that all these things had to be related that like you know you know if you wanted to influence the world you had to influence all these other things and to their credit i feel like they i mean i understand the the motivations behind it but at least from the inside they did a they did a good job of sort of like painting because it was in their interest to do this but they kind of painted a picture of like you know, if you want to change the world, then you need to have the political influence. You need to have the military influence. So it was it was very intentional, effectively. Those those like multiple spheres of influence, effectively. And I think it's it's really important to point this stuff out because right now the United States publicly claims to have a separate church and state. Mm. The United Good. States claims to be a place of religious freedom that protects yeah. your right to believe whatever you want, that protects yeah. freedom of thought. But as we can see, the Unification Church was very good at getting people in the White House, getting people at the Pentagon to care more about pleasing white Jesus or Korean Jesus mm. or just Jesus, whatever sort of violent branch of Christianity you want to call it with all the regular assets they have. Like, Mm. you know what I'm saying? It's like the whole purpose of the unification church was to make it look cool to completely enmesh and fuse together church and state. Yeah. To the point where they then ask people to choose, do you want to be a public figure in the U S or do you want to be one of us with the WACL? Yeah, I mean, well, the, yeah, the, the church, the, the church was always, at least internally, was always blatant about that, right? About just just marrying it. It always felt like, you know, politics and religion were the same thing. They were, they were, they were two sides of the same coin. Growing up in it, and that that was always, especially for me, growing up in D.C., like my, it was always just kind of understood that that the church was always going to be trying to talk to politicians. They were always going to be trying to get these people to come to events and always trying to get the photo ops with whatever politicians. It was just, there was no separation of those ideas at all. They were, they were completely, they were the same thing effectively. It was, it was an influence from, exactly. from the get go effectively. And it almost like it, we were made to feel like if you were a religious person who claimed to love God and believe in God's message, you were pathetic if you didn't put your religious beliefs into action in the real yeah. world. Yeah, 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 that was it, right? Influencing people's votes and ending people's lives. Yeah, yeah, was, that was yeah, that was totally it, right? It was like it was like oh, all these other people have these beliefs, but they don't really put them into practice because they're not willing to do what it takes to try and gain influence and manipulate people. But we, if are. you really loved the world, you would take away their option to sin. Yeah. If you really loved the other people on the planet, you would violate their autonomy. Yeah, to stop them from doing... Yeah, exactly. And I really feel like this is such an obvious precursor to the rampant, insane-looking and sounding white nationalism in QAnon 
yeah. community that we have right now. Yeah, it is. It is. I agree completely. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, there's a section on Inchon. I'm going to skip that, but the, the one section I want to, I want to read, uh, is a quote from, from Sir Lawrence Olivier, no less. Um, because this quote did not end up in my episode on Inchon, but I wish it had. Um, and that quote is the following. People ask me why I'm playing in this, put in this, sorry, that, and that quote is, sorry. You're like laughing too hard. I was laughing too hard. Okay. That quote is the following. People ask me why I'm playing in this picture. Olivier was quoted as saying, the answer is simple. Money, dear boy. <laughs> hey, at least he's honest. He's honest. Yeah, I can't fault him, right? I can't fault him. And I mean, if if you go back to the <laughs> Go back to the Inchon episode. You'll 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 remember that there was a time when he demanded that they pay him in cash every week because he was concerned about their ability to actually pay him. So, well done, Sir Lawrence. Well done. Um, so yes, um, we'll skip the Inchon section. Um, uh, and then the Tunnel the vision. next section is called Tunnel Vision. This is quite interesting, actually. What do you want to? Why don't you talk a little bit about this, Faith? Um, so I just tunnel vision, the, the, the way moon sort of was like killing two birds with one stone and sort of prepping his family to take over his position as the head of the church after his inevitable rapidly oncoming demise. He like sent his wife and his kids to go give speeches that he wrote where he would like help them quote unquote write speeches. And he sort of shared the burden with them as their training to convince us that this tunnel was going to like save the world and was direct evidence. Like for once we had an actual project with blueprints yeah. we could point to about like, here's something unification church members are going to give the world. Yeah. That's going to last for generations. That is very blatantly about connecting the world and creating world peace. And yeah. like, that's what we were sold on. Relentlessly. Yeah. Well, we were sold on that, but it's the, the, the interesting thing is, so this, this article focuses on this Japan, Korea tunnel effectively, but, yeah. and, but there was, there were multiple projects like this that really, that, Oh, you didn't. Okay. Cause there was one between the U S and the Bering Strait, right? So, okay. So this is interesting. It was, that was one, there was, there was meant to be the, um, the, um, uh, a Bering Strait bridge. They wanted to to, to build a bridge for, between Alaska and Russia on the Bering Strait. That was that was one of them, effectively, like a bridge that you could drive over, effectively. Um, so that was one, and that was kind of the one that I remember hearing about. But then there's an entire section here in this article about this tunnel that they wanted to build between Korea and Japan, sort of like the channel between uh, England and France, um, like same sort of concept. Um, and it was, it was these, I... these, these projects were always touted as these, uh, they were used. I, so I, I, I'm going to let you, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you in a second, but I just want to say internally, the ways these were used internally were ways to sort of, convince people to to the point earlier about the PR of having these politicians and VIPs and these photo ops. Um, uh, these, these sort of 
construction projects were used as tools internally for them to say, oh, we're doing this for the good of the world. We're, we're focusing on this infrastructure project for the good of the world. Um, and there was the Bering Strait project. There's this Korea, Japan, Japan tunnel. Um, I'm just, I think there are other ones as well, but yeah, they, they were all serve the same purpose internally, like, you know? They were all sold as like a package idea. Like we're going to connect yeah. the world with tunnels. Yes. So that's why we need $3,000 from every family immediately. Thank you, Cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is one of the myriad projects that would periodically come up of like, oh, we need you to put $3,000, $5,000, $1,000, because $1, we need to build X. Um, and guess what? X was never built. Ever. Can I read some of this? Please, go for it. Um... I guess I'll just read the whole paragraph. I was going to yeah. read the part that I underlined, but undeterred, undeterred by cinematic fiasco, Moon pressed ahead with a grandiose plan to connect Japan and Korea by undersea tunnel billed as the beginning of an international highway project. Yeah. So like we said, it's like, this is one tunnel. Yeah. Of That's many right. Tunnels. Yeah. It was meant to be one of many tunnels that connected. I think there was meant to be one between like, Maybe the tip of South Africa and the tip of South it America or something. Matter they didn't mean yeah. any of this, but yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, exactly. Can you imagine but, fucking driving that shit? <laughs> the stated aim was to achieve world peace by girding the globe with arteries of economic and cultural exchange. Here's the part that I underlined. All right. Okay. Japanese military planners had first studied the feasibility of a Japan-Korea tunnel in the late 1930s and early 1940s as part of a Greater East Asia Railroad to connect Japan and its co-prosperity sphere with Axis partner Nazi Germany. <sighs> so that's why in our first recording, I was like, that whole King Peace Bridge tunnel, that was a Nazi wet dream. Mm. The Japanese imperialist military was like, we're going to get together and build a train track between our Axis partners. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and then it goes on to talk about like how much money it cost, how little progress was made, how somehow government entities were like bribed into giving glowing reviews about this. And then later mm -hmm. they were like, no, we were just kidding. So, like, the last couple paragraphs of this section is the intense controversy over the Unification Church that has followed Abe's assassination finally persuaded the central government to burst the delusional bubble. We have never considered the tunnel project when we were formulating plans to develop Japan's land. Seito Tetsuyo, Minister of Land, Infrastructure, Transport, and Tourism, said flatly on August 26th, I believe the vision for the tunnel is quite absurd. <laughs> fucking hell that's actually that's a quote that i've that i've that i that i highlighted as well does that the, one other piece that i want to um mention here um is or sorry one other passage uh boring of a test tunnel started in 1986 on the side of a mountain in agricultural land acquired by the cult by 2007 the survey shaft, six meters in diameter, extended 540 meters into the mountain. Test tunneling had to stop when it reached the boundary of land owned by the Unification Church. By then, the total cost is, is estimated to have reached $45 million, although 
according to the Asahi Shimbun, the cult stated in 2014, the cult and its followers had together donated more than 10 billion yen for the project, um, which is probably closer to $100 million. One former member of the cult is claiming 180 million yen in compensation for money donated to the tunnel. I'm, I, I, we'll, we'll skip the quote earlier, but basically this test tunnel was used to convince members to continue to donate. They would bring people to this hole in the ground and say, oh, look, we're starting to build this tunnel. Uh, y'all need to donate more. Um, and it's in- the Wizard of Oz smoke and mirrors. It's yeah. just an effort to reinforce that magical manipulation, but not enough effort to actually mean anything real. Yeah. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. That's a good way to describe it. Um, Cult followers were taken on tours of the mountain. There were different like newspapers. The Asahi, which I think is like a newspaper slash a youth group or something, run. I'd have to look up what that is again. I forget. They recounted how many Japanese politicians as well as academics spoke out in favor of the tunnel, lending it credibility. And then after Abe was assassinated, they're like, I was just kidding. <laughs> Jokes never believed it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking bastards. Fucking bastards. Um, now that assassination is on the table, all of a sudden everyone's dead serious. Yeah. So, oh, imagine that. Imagine that. Funny how that works. Yep. I think the next, now that we've like breezed past manufacturing guns and Inchon in the tunnel, I think yeah. this next one, this one's about Iran-Contra. And okay. I think this one is probably the most damning and the most important to me, frankly. Yeah, okay. Go for it. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Go for it. Should I just start reading it or something? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um. Okay. So... Reagan's love of Moon's Washington Times, founded by his ubiquitous henchman, Bohipak, in 1982, strengthened bonds. The paper was meant to be a conservative counterweight to the liberal Washington Post that had been instrumental in driving Nixon from office and enjoyed a monopoly on the capital area. I think it's important to note that, like, the Unification Church was created as a contra cult, potentially. That's the working theory the juiciest, most tantalizing theory, according to this journalist, is that Moon was plucked out of obscurity and turned into a religious group with the backing of the South Korean CAA to be a contra group to the sort of blended religious and government philosophy growing in North Korea. The mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they mentioned that earlier in the article. So then the Washington, we're starting this section about Iran-Contra explaining that the Washington Times was bought and bankrolled specifically to become a Contra or counter newspaper Mm. to the more progressive newspapers that Mm -hmm. actually did successfully sway public opinion to help get Nixon after out of office. So Uh, now, now... I was just gonna say that that is not speculation. Uh, like I, I, I have heard that directly, like from my own parents. So my my dad worked at the Washington Times, and and he has explained that to me. Uh, and I've sat in rooms 
in the Washington Times ballroom where they have videos of Reagan basically saying thank you to the Washington Times for being a, a, a voice that is counter to the liberal Washington Post, basically. So th- th- they set out from the outset to do that and they succeeded. And it was just kind of this whole idea of needing to be an equal and opposite force against whatever you don't agree with. Mm. It's just sort of something that permeated my whole life. Like I would just hear adults sort of waxing poetic about the ebb and flow of like fashion trends and political opinions and like all this kind of stuff. And I think it, the proof is in the pudding because what did the Unification Church do as soon as you started this podcast? They tried to create a contra podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that copied you. Yep. So yep. it's just sort of like this is it's like we can't Yeah, you're right. You're right. Holy shit. It's do. like it's like from inception that's all they do is is counter moves as opposed to as opposed to actual moves. Um Elgin, we were bred in a CIA front group to be contra group manufacturing machines. That's all yeah. we do. Yeah. We were raised to incite violence on a cultural societal level that would lead to direct violence and systemic violence. That's the job of Unification Church members is to literally be classically conditioned from birth to influence public opinion so that people who are anti-fascist and anti-imperialist get killed. Mm. Not just voted out of office. Yeah. Not just fucked over by like overturning Roe v. Wade or whatever it is, but legitimately killed. And that's what this section is about. Mm. Yeah. Well, when you put it like that, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and well, I mean, hats off to Peter McGill for putting it like that because he doesn't, he, he kind of does. Um, but should I keep going? Yeah, please go for it. Reagan read the Washington Times every day of his nine-year presidency. The American people know the truth. You, my friends at the Washington Times, have told it to them, he said in 1997. Three years later, the Unification Church Holding Company of the Washington Times bought the shriveled rump of the once illustrious United Press International Wire Service. It was in Latin America where a de facto alliance between the Unification Church and the White House was most in evidence. Following the debacle of the Vietnam War, Congress had reined in executive authority to commit the United States to war under the War Powers Resolution of 1973. And the Reagan administration was forced to rely on largely covert means to try and roll back communism. So if we need to say that again, we can, right? Because the Vietnam War was such a fucking disaster that the American people hated from the beginning, because we wasted so many human lives and so many resources traumatizing ourselves to fight the Vietnam War, which we lost miserably against uneducated farmers, right? Mm. Congress was like, okay, president, you don't get to decide when we go to war anymore. But Reagan, being the fascist, white nationalist, theocratic piece of shit that he is, he was like, well, I don't take no for an answer, and I certainly don't give Mm. a shit about the Constitution or about the powers of Congress. I'm going to take us to war anyway. So he finds backdoor, under-the-table illegal ways to send guns, armed mercenaries, and whoever the fuck he wants to South American countries to destabilize their socialist governments and install dictatorships that benefit his economic interests. 
So that's what this is about. That's a, there's a lot there. Holy shit. And, and, and I, so I have to say, so I remember in the, in the eighties during the Reagan years, my parents talking about, um, just how bad communism was and how it was so important to fight against it and how Reagan was fighting the good fight. And it was just, it was like, it was like a every, every day conversation in my, in my house was this idea that like communism was so bad. And, and also, even though I was very young, I still had this perception that like something was happening in South America. Um, and my parents, so my, my parents were certainly my dad was involved in causa, which I will come to in a second. But I remember like a lot of talk about causa and, shit happening in south america like this was a big deal like like this shit was talked about all the time and i didn't understand it when i was a kid but i was kind of living through this moment even though i was very young effectively and you know what's terrifying is moonies were at the january 6th insurrection and the environment that you and i grew up in where communism was the boogeyman yeah totally or equivalent synonymous with satan that is now public opinion. Yeah. I commented on a post on Instagram that was just like vaguely anti-communist and anti-socialist. And I was saying, mm, I don't really agree with this. I got like death threats DM'd to me. I got harassed for days. There were hundreds of replies. Like this yes. is a widespread attitude in the United States now. Yeah. Because this slow cooking, like a like a frog in boiling water, slowly being boiled to death, yeah. the temperature of the culture in the United States is becoming more and more moony. Mm. Because it worked. Because all of this bullshit that we helped enable, while fully thought reformed, while acting out of bounded choice, it worked. Mm. Which is kind of like, it's terrifying to think about. Yeah. That's why we're here and making this show. You know? Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. It was in Latin America where a de facto alliance between the Unification Church and the White House was the most evident. Okay, so that's the part we just read. Yeah. In 1979, the hereditary dictatorship of the Somoza family in power in Nicaragua since 1937 was deposed by the left-wing Sandinistas. Reagan believed Sandinista victory threatened the southern frontier, quote-unquote, of the United States. So in addition to a trade embargo against Nicaragua, he authorized the CIA to covertly help Contra rebels operating out of camps in neighboring, the neighboring Honduras and Costa Rica with funding, training, and weaponry. Right. So against the wishes of the American people, mm. against the wishes of Congress, Ronald Reagan is like, CIA? My little well-funded militarized lackeys, go do your thing. Yeah. Don't tell anybody I sent you. Yeah. This. So, after Congress prohibited federal funding of the Contras, so Congress is saying that we're not doing this. Yeah. Congress is high-fiving themselves because they're like, we successfully banned the U.S. from supporting this Contra group, and Ronald Reagan mm. was like, you thought. Yeah. And just did it on his own. So after Congress prohibited federal funding of the Contras in 1983, Colonel Oliver North 
on the National Security Council formulated a plan for the Reagan administration to continue backing them by selling arms to Iran and channeling the proceeds to the Contras, which is in fact the Iran-Contra affair. The CIA was supported in these covert campaigns by a broad range of right-wing individuals and networks connected to Singlob's World Anti-Communist League. Mm. So that same dude who yeah. used to be in South Korea, who was like, fuck all y'all then, I'll work directly with the WACL. Yeah. The CIA taps him and they're like, hey friend. And he's like, hello other friends. Mm. I don't work for you anymore, but we're both bonded by this theocratic fascist ideology. So it doesn't matter that he doesn't work for the U.S. government anymore. All of his yeah. military movies are like, we're defying Congress anyways. Might as well hit up that guy who hates the U.S. government because they're yeah. not theocratic fascists yeah. yet. So it's like, <sighs> I don't know. Oh. It's the Latin American chapter, CAL for Confederacion Anticommunista Latina Americana, would gradually involve representatives of all the Latin American domestic security forces, intelligence services, military establishments, paramilitary movements, and death squads across the continent. So the WACL has homies, has a chapter in South mm. America called CAL, and they also had, you know, strong social ties and friends. In those countries' intelligence services, their military, and in like covert death squads, which are just literally groups of guerrilla mercenaries who go around killing everyone. Mm. Women, children, protesters, doesn't matter. That's what a death mm. squad is. Moon's contribution to anti-communism in Central and South America was through a new political arm of the Unification Church called CASA, Spanish for Cause. Founded in New York in 1980, CASA was inevitably headed by Moon's ultra-loyal ex-colonel Pac Bohi or Bohi Pac. In 1984, the celebrated American investigative journalist Jack Anderson described in a syndicated column how Moon's cult worked with the CIA. In the Central American hinterlands, it is sometimes difficult to distinguish CIA operatives from the Reverend Sunman Moon's disciples. They appear to be working in harness against the communist-tainted Sandinista regime in Nicaragua. This troubles at least one Pentagon analyst now stationed in Korea who has warned the White House that the CIA-Mooney connection could cause possible political damage to President Reagan's re-election campaign. Current Mooney involvement with government officials, contractors, and grantees could create a major scandal, the memo warns. CASA International, Moon's political front, has representatives working in programs that help the CIA in its Contra war against the Sandinista government. CASA maintains a publicity office in the name of a city I can't pronounce, the Honduran Te capital. Tegucigalpa. Sure, I believe you. <laughs> but its principal activities are in the field. CASA provides cash and other aid to Honduran-based Nicaraguan Contras, and Honduran right-wing political groups. Many anti-Sandinista guerrillas wear red CASA t-shirts with a map of the world on them. But CASA and its affiliate, the Refugee Relief Freedom Foundation, provide more than t-shirts to rebel groups. They also funnel supplies to refugee families in and near Contra camps and pay for trips by rebel leaders to the United States. The airlift of supplies to the rebels by Moon's Unification Church has escalated 
since Congress cut off CAA funding for the Contras. The administration has been attempting to privatize its war against the Sandinistas and is apparently willing to work with these people. Oh, fucking. So you're right. The CIA absolutely did know about Koreagate and how different Korean CIA members were able to use all of these hundreds of friend groups to launder millions of dollars to whoever the fuck they wanted on American soil. And the CIA published that information on their websites. But they also know that the entire job of like all of those interns and marketers and brand managers at the White House, all of these people at Congress, they care about managing public opinion. They care about making sure the American people love America, and most importantly, love whoever is up for election. Yeah. So that everyone can keep making money off of lobbyists. So the CIA was like, okay, if Ronald Reagan says that what we're doing now as an assignment is helping him privately fund fascist death squads in South America without the American people knowing, so be it. Mm. Another day, another dollar, another life in being the private military of whatever theocratic fascist. So the the American CAA starts doing exactly what they wrote reports about. Although I guess the FBI wrote that report. But it's like the FBI and the CAA work together in concert with the Moonies to do exactly what they wrote a report on. Yeah. For Koreagate. Yeah. Um, For me, it's just really um, uh, like reading this chapter or sorry, this section before recording this. I just have these notes here like on this section, like our, our childhoods funded that blood money in, in South America. And that's really fucking disturbing um, to f- just think about all the shit that we went through, uh, all the shit that our families went through. And like, it was, uh, that money fucking went here to fucking fund this, these death squads. Um, that is, in like uh, fucking infuriating um and it just continues to fuel this widespread thought stopping cliche today in 2023 that socialist countries cannot succeed they're not economically viable they always collapse it's like well they collapse because the cia uses religious front groups like the ones we were raised in to murder people yeah, that's why they don't work. Yeah. Also, I just want—I want to go on a slight tangent here, but but this is my fucking show, and I'm going to do it. Um, so all y'all motherfuckers in the U.S. who 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 say shit about socialized medicine, um, fucking come to the U.K., motherfuckers. Uh, because let me tell you, I was—I tried to have a kid in the U.S. without health insurance, um, and I couldn't fucking do it. It was going to cost me thirty thousand dollars at a minimum. Uh, with no complications um, with complications that like the, the price obviously skyrockets. Uh, so I fucking fled the U S and I came here and guess what? I had amazing care. Well, my now ex-wife had amazing care. Uh, um, it didn't cost me a fucking dime. Um, and I'm very happy with that decision. So all y'all motherfuckers like actually travel to the, to a country where socialized medicine exists and talk to the people there who've experienced it before you start just assuming that that shit sucks. Because trust me, your shit fucking sucks. It's really fucking terrible. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I will never, ever move back to the U.S. Uh, because I've experienced both sides of the healthcare coin and socialized medicine is better. It's not perfect. 
but it's way better. Uh, sorry, I that's my that's my that's my rant over. Um, I agree. On, I've already decided I'm absolutely not having kids in the U.S. If I'm ever going to have a kid, it's not going to be in the U.S. Yeah, for those exact same reasons. Yeah. Um, and, and yet we were taught that this, well, first of all, the idea that like socialized medicine is communist is kind of, it, it's, it, it's not the same to begin with, but those, those ideas have been like conflated in the U S they've been, they've been assumed to be the same thing when they're not, but also people like, think of socialism as Pikachu and communism as like Raichu. It's just like an evolved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They literally think they're they're the yeah. same thing. It's just like yeah, like socialism is a cucumber and communism is a pickle. Yeah, yeah. And it's only inevitable it's... before socialism becomes communism. It's like, yeah. are you a crack? Is yeah, it crack? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, this, just on this section about the, the South America thing, I just, I think it's also worth mentioning, um, oh, just, just reading the rest of this. Cause it, it shows you the extent of the, the Mooney's involvement in South America. So I'm just going to finish this passage here. So, uh, while Causa was active throughout South America, it was Uruguay's military dictatorship that offered the warmest welcome in March, 1981, Pak Bohi met the president, vice president, and interior minister in the capital, Montevideo. By the end of the year, Causa was granted rights to set up two newspapers, Noticias del Uruguay and Ultimas Noticias, and a radio station in Uruguay, as well as a casino in violation of local gambling laws. It bought the largest publishing house, a restaurant, and a meatpacking plant, and owned Montevideo's only luxury hotel, the Victoria Plaza, which housed the casino and was later extended to include a convention center. Uruguay's offshore banking system operated behind the walls of secrecy and was notorious for being a laundromat for drug money as well as a haven for flight capital and tax evasion. Causa's acquisition of a controlling interest in Uruguay's third largest bank, the Banco de Credito, prompted many questions. Employees of Banco de Credito reported how 4,200 Japanese members of the Unification Church turned up at the bank with each depositing as much as $25,000. Quote, the money still had the U.S. Federal Reserve Band around it. More than $80 million was deposited over the course of a week. And this was in the early 80s, according to Juan Ramos of the Bank Workers Association. That is some shady sounding shit right there. Yeah, because what I'm hearing is when... Um, a subcommittee of Congress and the FBI investigated Koreagate. All of the theocratic fascists who benefited from those ca- like envelopes of cash locked that away in their memory. They're like, oh, this works. Mm. I'm going to remember that guy's name. That guy who made me feel really good about myself and included me at all of these events, hooked me up with all these people and gave me all this money. I'm going to remember him. Yeah. So when Congress said, okay, president, you can't declare war on people and you also can't use federal funding for any of the bullshit you say you want to do because we don't agree with you. Checks and balances, bitch. Reagan was like, okay, who can I call? Mm. How about that guy that they wrote a 100-page report about? Yeah. I, I see that the leaders in the country that used to employ him are now dead, shot, or like being replaced by other people who don't understand his full potential. 
don't respect his artistry as a swindler and a distractor, okay? So Ronald Reagan turned off the federal funding and told him, like, took his money and all the other money he would have poured into that and Mm. gave it to the Unification Church, gave it to CASA, and they deposited it into this bank, as well as just handing it to Contras. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really asking us as readers to kill this idea in ourselves that like the president of the U S or any entity of government has like a moral code they're following. Yeah, exactly. This respect our wishes. They don't. So this is the thing. This is the thing I kind of like, I had just through like my, my life and like doing the podcast and stuff, I'd kind of gotten to the point where I was like, yeah, moon was like the ultimate opportunist and was just going to do whatever, you know, would exploit or, or get in bed with whoever to just suit his own aims. But then like this article is like, actually, no, it's not just moon. It's like the president and like everyone else in the CIA and the Congress and everyone is just willing to just abandon principles to, to further their own self-interest at pretty much any point. And that's kind of disturbing, especially when you kind of grow up kind of thinking that maybe there might be some sort of, like absolute moral right or wrong in the world. Um, and this is contra to all of that, basically. It, it shows you the power of propaganda and all of the ways that the United States really prevents us from even having conversations about this. This is, this is one of the things I really appreciate about this article is that it's, it's, it's kind of like, linking all of these pieces in in the in the backstory that like we were we were told the four story when we were growing up but now it's linking together all the pieces in the backstory so you yeah, have a lot of appreciation for it for doing that here it's like almost going back to that el pollo loco from breaking bad yeah we always thought that door in the kitchen was to the accountant's room, and it is technically, but the accountant's room has a trap door that leads you to the meth lab, and here it is. Okay. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of yeah, this. exactly. Exactly. That's what, that's, that's what this article feels like. Um, the article continues. Um, this provoked an extraordinary intervention by Kishi, the former prime minister who had done so much to facilitate Unification Church entry into Japan. So just going back, this is Kishi, the war criminal, for the record. Um, On November 26, 1984, Kishi wrote to Reagan at the White House, imploring him to release Moon by all means from his unfair imprisonment as soon as possible. This is also the grandfather of Shinzo Abe, I believe. Um, Kishi begins his letter by congratulating Reagan on a sweeping election victory and on departing from the new quote new deal policies of the democratic party ultimately derived from Marxism, which have been apparent since the times of president FD Roosevelt. Kishi alludes to a recent world media conference in Tokyo of which he and Douglas MacArthur, the second, yes, that Douglas MacArthur, the, 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 we have a hard on for Douglas MacArthur. If we're in the unification church, 
that guy. Kishi alludes to a recent world media conference in Tokyo, of which he and Douglas MacArthur II, American ambassador to Japan from 57 to 61, had both been honorary chairmen. Attended by 800 journalists from 87 countries, according to Kishi. The conference closed with a congratulatory speech by Mike Mansfield, Mike Mansfield, excuse me, who was a U.S. ambassador to Tokyo from 1977 to 1988. And here we go. The World Media Conference was founded by Moon. Again, another fucking front group that ties all this shit together. The World Media Conference was founded by Moon, whom Kishi extols in his letter as, quote, a genuine man, staking his life on promoting the ideals of freedom and correcting communism. His existence is and will be in the future a rare, precious, and indispensable one for the maintenance of freedom and democracy. <laughs> Holy fuck. I'm at the point where when I hear an imperialist say freedom and democracy, I'm like, you mean drone strikes? Yeah. You mean biochemical warfare? You mean domestic terrorism? Yeah, this shit. For me, this is actually kind of the most, like, damning, like, just cluster-fucking series of paragraphs here, because... Yeah, and especially something about doing that episode on Inchon and the and the collective hard on for Douglas MacArthur, and then here we have Kishi, the war criminal, talking about meeting MacArthur at an event hosted by a, a front from a Mooney front group, and then quoting that conversation with MacArthur in a letter that he writes to Reagan to try and get Moon out of jail. There's so many fucking layers here. What the fuck, dude? Jesus Christ. So yeah, just, I guess for the listeners, Douglas MacArthur I was the one who granted Kishi total immunity for injecting people with biochemical experiments. He's the oh, one wait, who oh, wait, am I getting my MacArthur, am I getting my MacArthur hard-ons confused? So No, is... you're not. You are not. Okay. Go ahead and go there. It's that uncomfortable. The reason so... the Education Church has a hard-on for Douglas MacArthur I is because he freed all of those war criminals. He granted them total immunity and made sure they didn't go to jail. He was, bought all of their research. And now this is MacArthur II yeah. inherited that position in the same way that Shinzo Abe inherited his position. Okay. Okay, so Douglas MacArthur I is the one who is the subject of the film Inchon. Uh, he's he's the he's the, the the one who was he's the, the hero and, who excused the war hero. 731 yes. and made the unification church possible okay. because Got the unification it. church is the retirement program for all of those people who cre- who did war crimes. Got it. Okay, so Douglas MacArthur II is his son who was Japanese ambassador or sorry, American ambassador to Japan from 57 to 61. And they still have a hard on for him because of what his oh, dad did. Oh, totally, totally. He's got that name. Yeah. 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 And we're obviously in theocratic fascism. We're all about nepotism, right? We're all about totally. It's like totally. we're trying to recreate well, feudalism. So why wouldn't you just pass on positions of power? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, and look at what Moon's doing. Look at what all of Moon's kids are doing, trying to just just hereditarily in, inherit the, the you know the privilege, basically. It's feudalism. It's it's yeah. fetish, fetishizing feudalism. Yeah. Wishing people could own people again. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. This for me out of everything, this is like the most 
crazy passage here. Just the number of the number of intersecting uh, like threads to the story to the story no. is just mind blowing there. And on this section, so Kishi's writing this letter and name dropping MacArthur the second, right? And yeah. saying he went to this event that Moon created yeah. for the WSL. Yeah. And he writes this in a letter to Reagan. Because yeah. you know that Reagan reads Moon's newspaper and he knows that Reagan used Moon to commit the Iran Contra affair against the wishes of Congress, against the wishes of the people who voted him into office and give mm. all our tax dollars, right? Mm. So Kishi, in no uncertain terms, is like, you're going to let my broski bro, my bromance partner, my next door neighbor, my BFF, you're going to let him out of prison or I'm going to start talking about that deal you cut me. Mm. And Reagan, because he understands how powerful he is, a reply was drafted for Reagan's signature and was sent to Kishi on March 5th, 1985. It noted that Moon's request for parole had been denied and his scheduled release date remained August 20th, although a formal request for executive clemency was under consideration. Mm. Reagan has to act like he doesn't know who the fuck Kishi is. Reagan has to act like he doesn't know who Moon is and he can't let people think that he's going to let Moon off easy. Arguably, mm. For all of the ways that Moon was terrorizing communities, for all of the public uproar, three years in Danbury prison for tax evasion was not enough. It was already the homie hookup. So Reagan kind of understood that if he showed his hand even more by responding to this letter from Kishi, by letting Moon out early from what already was not enough, it would have blown his cover. It would have shaken too shaken the trust too much between mm. his decisions and the people he has to answer to mm. when he goes to his day job pretending to yeah. have school, you know? Yeah. I just found yeah. that extremely revealing. Yeah. And again, it just, it points to that, that, that concept we we're talking about before about like, like, I don't know, morals flying out the window and people just being opportunistic and, because they all come from a time where there was much more violence every day and it was strong man's rule. And they never sort of came out of that mindset. And the rest of us who are working to pay taxes to make all of this possible, we're having all these beautiful conversations about like how to treat each other better, how to listen to each other better, mm -hmm. how to change our society to improve the quality of our mental health. And meanwhile, like, all of these people insulated by their own positions of power are still living in the dark ages. They're still, yeah. they're still living in a coup, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think this last section, Goddard Damarung and Pyongyang bear hug. I had to look yeah. up what Goddard Damarung is. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those, I think it's a German word that doesn't really have a direct English translation. It's one of those words like schadenfreude that like mm. English speakers end up using anyway, because it's such a uniquely German specific yeah. word. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, Gotterdammerung is like when you decide to put your very real, very valid feelings on the back burner and make peace with someone because you have to. Because mm. acting on your very valid and legitimate feelings would fuck up your future. And you would prefer to be alive. 
Okay. That like, makes that makes sense based on what this what this what this section is about. Yeah. So Goddard Damarung and the Pyongyang Bear Hug. For the for most of the 1980s, Moon felt secure in his homeland with the continuation of strongman rule after Park Chung Hee was shot dead in 1979 by his Korean CIA director, the founder of Unification Church. When Chun Du Huan finally oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Who wait? He was shot by who? The founder and first director of the South Korean CIA, Kim Jong Pil. Yeah. yeah. So Kim Jong Pil helped Park Chung Hee stage a coup. Yeah. While Park Chung Hee was doing his thing, being the leader of South Korea against anyone else's will. Yeah. Kim Jong Pil founded the Unification Church as one of his first action items as founder and, and, and he's the, the guy who pulled the trigger and he's on the Park guy who shot Park Chung-hee. whoa correct okay when Chandu Huan finally yielded power as president in 1988 it was to a close ally and friend but I guess I get confused by these names because I'm already overwhelmed by all of this new yeah. information <laughs> so yeah it's like, totally we're gonna put a pin in that but the point of this paragraph is that like the near simultaneous democratization of South Korea after two decades of military rule, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and Seoul's dramatic diplomatic openings to Moscow and Beijing, which threatened the survival of Kim Il-sung, all of that led to Moon having to eat his own words. And even though he'd been like mm. decrying North Korea as this hellscape on earth and how we needed to defeat them. Yeah. This is where he gets sent on assignment to like show how much of a peace loving global citizen he is and do photo ops with the leader of North Korea. Mm. This yeah, is where and we that, get photos of him hugging them and him switching his tune to be like, Oh, we need to unify them now. Yeah. Well, this is, and I remember that was a big deal. I was, I was old enough to remember that, like the, remember that kind of turning point where like, North Korea kind of flipped from being this like enemy to this place that we needed to embrace. And then there were all, yeah, all these photo ops. And like, that was a big deal when moon went to meet Kim El Sung. Uh, and, you know, they had those photos of them in some like, like God awful hotel in Pyongyang. Um, uh, just, that was a really fucking big deal in my house uh, and in like the DC church community in general. It was, I, I can't really overstate how much importance and, and weight and heft was given to that photo opportunity internally. Um, Cause it was a really fucking big deal. Mm-hmm. It yeah. says moon's cult had always tacked close to South Korean government policy and with breathtaking bravado, he abruptly ditched three decades of virulent anti-communism. It talks about how he'd always sort of uh, described a satanic lair in Pyongyang. Mm. And now he suddenly has to very urgently backpedal mm. and go against all of that. So I'm running out of time. I do want to sort of skim and skip ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go for it. About how the Tongil Group invested money to do joint ventures with North Korea. Yeah. Um, the journalist who's writing this says he stayed at a Mooney-owned hotel when he personally visited Pyongyang. Mm -hmm. 
And this quote was interesting. Frank Wisner, one of the founders of the CIA, famously used the metaphor, the mighty Wurlitzer, to describe the CIA's influence on public opinion through a multitude of front organizations. And this journalist goes on to say, the Unification Church had its own mighty Wurlitzer. But the purpose of its multitude of instruments was not only to promote a geopolitical agenda, but to gain religious believers and generate cash. Mm. So it's very helpfully like spelling out the fact that the purpose of all of these front groups is not necessarily to stab journalists to death or be on the ground when death squads are doing their thing, although they did do that. The main purpose of all of these front, front groups is to sway public opinion mm. and also to let people who need to stay in the good graces of public opinion do their dirty work without getting their hands dirty. Mm. So these front groups practically at a, like an optics level from a PR level and also from a paperwork level, they work as a thick curtain of those wizard of Oz, like smoke and mirrors yeah. to let people stay in the good graces of public opinion yeah. while committing war crimes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, <laughs> it, fuck. somehow the Moonies stayed employed no matter who was in power, no matter who got shot in the head, no matter who the enemy Yeah. Had. And this is, this is a thing that's really striking about reading this history is this, this like. They're willing to flip flop. They're willing to go yeah, back yeah. on every single little poetic thing they ever said. It's 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 a portrait of of a, of just uh, of just a, a a person and organization that's completely willing to uh, just just to just to go back on everything that they've done. Just like like they're they, they go wherever the wind takes them. They they go wherever the opportunity takes them, uh, and that's it. That's the guiding principle: is follow the opportunity effectively. It shows that the divine principle and all of the things we went through, we were not deciding what our mission was. Our mission the whole time was to distract and provide lip service. That was our mm. mission. Yeah. Our mission was to be an outsourced layer of protection for anybody in any cause that could afford us. Mm. And that is evidenced by the way we contradicted ourselves and had cognitive dissonance from one decade to the next from one year to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to read a couple things here and we're getting, we're getting close to the end here, but about a few things that I want to read. Um, uh, actually there's a, f a few pieces. So one can easily get bewildered by the bizarre labyrinth of political leaders, usually retired Academics, journalists, clergy, military officers, and assorted celebrities who have accepted Unification Church money to speak at conferences. Or in the case of George H.W. Bush and his wife, Barbara, addressed Japanese stadium crowds of bust in Moonies. I, to me, this, this is really important to me because I've talked about this a lot on my show. With like trying to really pin down the money and like all these motherfuckers who speak at these events, like how much do they get paid? Um, and this here's a respective journalist going on record stating that countless people, basically he's saying that anyone who's ever appeared at these places have been paid. And I would like to 
find a way to to lift the veil of secrecy around around those payments. Um, that is a difficult thing to do, but I'm glad that someone is going on record saying that these motherfuckers have been paid to speak at these places. Um, to, sorry, to speak for these events. Um, also kind of tying it all together, in 2021, both Shinzo Abe and Donald Trump addressed a unification church, quote, rally of hope. Both Trump and his former CIA director and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo addressed another Mooney event in Seoul in August 2022 after Abe's assassination. They still did it. And then this piece is really interesting about the the journalist's interest in this topic. I quote, my own interest in the Moonies was piqued. During a visit to Seoul in 1995, when I found former British Prime Minister Edward Heath and former Canadian Governor General Edward Schreyer both sitting next to Moon on a ballroom podium in the Lotte Hotel. That's a nice hotel in Seoul. The, quote, Summit Council Conference was a featured attraction of a week-long festival culminating in a unification church wedding ceremony for 36,000 couples crammed into Seoul's Olympic Stadium. What I recollect of Heath's keynote address was a well-worn tale of Mao Tung giving him a pair of pandas for London Zoo. During the intermission, I asked Heath what he was doing there. He flew into a rage. This is a former prime minister of this country that I'm, that I'm, that I'm sitting in right now. Flew into a rage. How dare you, he bellowed. According to the British Embassy in Seoul, Heath had visited South Korea almost annually for the previous five years to attend Mooney conferences. Later that year, a UK Home Secretary decided to bar Moon's entry to the UK on the grounds that it, quote, would not be conducive to the public good. So on the one hand, I, I'm incredibly grateful to the UK for barring entry to Moon into this country. Uh, that's pretty pretty fucking fucking dope to do that uh at the same time like the former prime minister speaking at these events for five years and more potentially more i mean it just shows how fucking just how corrupt these motherfuckers are um it further illustrates illustrates the fact that essentially today all politicians do is manage public perception of all the crimes that they're committing. That is their job. There is a clear distinction between what civilians believe their country is doing, between how they believe their country works and what is actually happening. Yeah. And the entire job of most of these politicians is to keep the plate spinning. This like imagine land we all live in where politicians balance pros and cons and have this moral compass that dictates yeah. all of their decisions when it is very much the opposite. Yeah. And all this journalist had to do was ask, what are you doing here? Yeah. And, and he, he fucking flew off the handle. Spooked, he rage quit and then barred moon from coming and then never went to those events again. Yeah. What does that say about how he felt about what he was doing there? Yeah. I like that description rage quit. Just, really? Yeah, that's a, that's a, like Ed, Sir really? Edward A. Heath is fucking through the controller at the at the at the PlayStation. <laughs> Fuck. The next section is about dysfunction and family feuds, but I'm honestly so sick of hearing about what they're doing. I feel like we yeah. have to do that right now. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, the I just one just want to read read two sentences here. The first two sentences of that. Uh, to what extent Moon's own brood have benefited? Sorry, own brood. Fucking love that. To what extent Moon's own brood have benefited? from the river of money flowing into his global empire has never been tabulated. What is certain is that compared to foot soldiers of the cult tasked with meeting financial quotas, his children live like pampered royalty. Ah, fucking men to Peter McGill for writing this shit. Thank you. Hats like, off to Peter McGill. We yeah. love Peter McGill in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I Peter, if you listen to this, I want you to come on my show, please. You're solid, uh, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're 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 the real deal, man. Let's let's try and get you on on the show. Um, I mean, so do you have to? Yeah. We could go into this because the way he phrases it is pretty cool. If you want to, go for it. Tales of Terrytown turmoil in upstate New York <laughs> made tabloid fodder and a mockery of Moon's teachings about a perfect family. I numbered these in my notes. Okay. So number one, Nansa Kong was handpicked to be the wife of Moon's son, young son, Moon Hyojin, at the age of 15. And I feel like we all know that story. Mm. In 1998, her tell-all memoir, In the Shadow of the Moons, My Life in Reverend Sun Moon's Family, revealed a life of dysfunctional horror. Her husband, whom she divorced, was a drug addict. When she was seven months pregnant with her fifth child, she tried to flush his cocaine down the toilet. He smashed his fist into my face, bloodying my nose, Hong recalled. He wiped my blood on his hand, then licked it off. Tastes good, he said. This is fun. Number two, in 1999, another of Moon's sons jumped to his death from the 17th floor of a Nevada casino. That's mm -hmm. crazy, because we were all told he was pushed by evil spirits. or fell Yeah, off we've, we've talked about that on this show before. Um, and it certainly wasn't a casino at the time. It, it was, was a hotel, right? It, it was, was hotel. it was it was a hotel, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, in the new millennium, a bitter succession struggle erupted with the Moon family. Speaking of succession succession, I've tried to watch the HBO show and I couldn't yeah. because all of the textures, all of the properties, all of the mannerisms of these deranged billionaires. I was like, this yeah. is too real. And I'm having flashbacks. Oh, I have properties I, I, that I used to clean for free. Dude. You know? I, I like, that is a great show. I, I I'm with you. I, I know what you mean. Um, it is such a great what, show. And I'm sitting what, there just like seeing Hyunjin's face on everyone else's face. Yeah. Like, like Ken, you know, so Kendall, and, Kendall reminds me of, um, Oh, you haven't gotten to the in season two when Kendall becomes a rapper. Uh, reminds me of fucking fucking Sean. <laughs> uh, that, that's a nice eye roll, by the way. I, I like Thank that you. for the for the. I video, am the master the, of eye rolls for the audio for the audio people, audio only people. There is a great eye roll there. Um, but yes, there is that, that that show has strong parallels to the Moon Family Succession battle. Um, there was hold on. Um, so they hadn't, there's an interesting detail here, and I, I actually hadn't heard this before. So Hyunjin, a.k.a. Preston, the oldest living son, had long been treated as heir apparent, but Moon came to regard him as incompetent <laughs> and instead anointed his young, youngest son, Hyunjin. So I didn't know that this was, I had never heard that this was the reason that Hyunjin was... Um, 
was passed over for that for the role exactly of successor. Like succession. It is. It's it exactly is. Like totally. The yeah. Episode of Succession. Uh, exactly. That's driving me nuts. Yep. It makes me feel like I'm going. I'm going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> are all billionaire families that way? Did somebody? I think they are. I think they are. And decide that we're going to make a show about the movies, but make them all white. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Anywho. I don't know. See, yeah, the rest of it, the rest of it kind of covers like events that we've covered on this show, I think. Um, yeah. So this in is general. my favorite. The closing, the conclusion of this article, I think, is also one of my favorite parts yep. of the whole 23 pages. It's called yep. Endgame? Question mark. Yep. Um, the prospect of such diplomatic nuptials. So it, it ended the previous section by saying that like Cook Jin Moon is regurgitating the same bullshit as his dad did saying like we want korea to enter into a defensive alliance with japan and Mm. for japan and korea to quote unquote get married Mm. that's the talking point that moon was being paid to say a million times when he died and kukjin who is at this point like mentally ill but still able to run businesses i guess is regurgitating the same nonsense thinking that it meant a lot to his dad you know what i mean So then Endgame says the prospect of such diplomatic nuptials has further receded with the launch of a Japanese government investigation of the Unification Church, which still enjoys protection from the South Korean government. If the official probe results in an order to disband the Japanese branch of the Unification Church, this would choke off what historically has been its biggest source of money. What would then become of the cult's global business and property empire? After Japan, the second pillar of the Unification Church outside its home country has always been the United States. Rebel brothers Hyungjin and Kukjin are shielded by the constitutional privileges of the First and Second Amendments, guaranteeing freedom of expression and religion and the right to bear arms. Both fervently back Donald Trump. The official church controlled by their mother is less loud about being pro-Republican, but is equally steeped in conservatism. What if the prevailing political wind in America were to follow Japan and turn against the Unification Church and investigate Koreagate? The congressional probe in the U.S.-South Korea relations in the late 1970s benefited from unprecedented access to classified material. It's not far-fetched to assume that a mountain of secret documents concerning Moon and the Unification Church remain locked away in U.S. government archives. Full disclosure might finally spell the end of the cult in the United States. I kind of, he's not wrong. And I kind of know he had a call to action at the end. He, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. And like his call to action is like, is like spelling an end of the cult. Like it's, it's it, like, it's a fucking dope call to action too. Like it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a little, it's not a baby step. It's like, it's, it's the real deal, you know? It's pragmatic. Um, It's very possible. And it's holes in this emotional attachment. We all kind of low key have to the moon family where we assign a bunch of charisma and power to them that they don't have anymore. Yeah. And all it would really take would be people not backing down in the face of intimidation from the unification church in Japan. If Japan yeah. can successfully shut down the Unification Church, they're fucked. They are absolutely yeah. fucked. Because that's where the majority of our money comes from. 
Yeah. Because like I said, the fundraising's cute. The fundraising and the blessing money is real adorable. It really is. But the majority of their funding comes from Japan. Mm. So if we were able to shut down the Unification Church because of their elaborate, easy to prove history of corruption and embezzlement, human trafficking, sadistic neglect and manipulation of the members, then the U.S. chapter of the U.C. is already on thin ice. Mm. It's entirely feasible that if we like coordinate, like you and I, anybody, anybody, if we coordinated our efforts on exposing all of the documents that were in Koreagate already researched for us, already yeah. for us, if we just like looked through those and made them land and helped people understand how they're still relevant today, yeah. how this group has still been doing this today, but yeah. in aid of the American CIA, it is not far-fetched to believe that we could literally topple and outlaw the Unification Church. Yeah, I so a couple things. So first of all, the fact that I agree with you, like like the documentation is is already there. Like the like we we. It's just getting the, people to let go of theocratic belief systems. Yeah, and and I think the the problem is, I mean, look at look at like. John Gorenfeld's book, Bad Moon Rising, like he, he put together this, this incredible expose, like exposing a, a lot of what we've talked about here. And like, no one gave a shit basically. Uh, and I think that's the biggest problem is like, is particularly in America, especially with freedom of religion being what it is like does the average person actually care when they the population has been conditioned to believe well that's their religious belief and they can just do whatever they want even if it means fucking funding death squads and abusing kids they're fuck america has collectively decided that they're fucking cool with that uh at, at this point um which is incredibly sad to say but that that's that's my read on public perception or public opinion in america well, on this particular topic um which One is deeply disappointing, thing, but I, I see what you're saying and I agree with you to an extent. However, the event that made this 23 page article possible is the fact that a Jacob's child from the Unification Church built his own firearm in a country yeah. that has banned firearms and committed an assassination. Yeah. So now people are listening. There have already been very real consequences for political affiliates with the Unification Church in Japanese government. Yeah. Japan. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see in Japan has completely changed. Yeah. And you're right. People totally. don't care about who the UC was in decades past. And now that's working in our favor. Because the only relevant, more modern news about the UC is that we are a really uncomfortable kind of bizarre religion that has led to at least one assassination. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's... And let's be real, like, his kids don't have any real power. They don't have the same level of finesse, and it's harder... No, they harder, don't. It's harder for and... someone from the U.S. government who wants to pull another Iran-Contra to wrangle up these like totally. teenagers who have no yeah. fucking idea what they're doing. Exactly. Even like, even like, like compare like Sean to his dad, like and Sean, just the dude. Fact that there are three of them. 
Just the fact yeah. that there are two sons and his wife arguing over who's in charge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like like Sean, dude, you fucking pale in comparison to your dad in terms of in terms of the influence uh and the ability to fucking pull strings. Um so um uh, which I'm it's kind of like a very pleasant thing to say, quite honestly. Um <laughs> But yeah, you're right. You're you're right. The clout that they carry is is severely diminished versus versus their dad. Um, so I think you're right. There's there's less. Um, it honestly. Le- Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say it honestly feels a lot less like trying to take on an organized front group and a lot more like trying in a really sad pathetic way trying to decide what to do with a group of people who have completely lost touch with reality Mm, and are kind of left over from an organization that doesn't hold the same weight and isn't relevant anymore yeah yeah i agree i agree the the relevancy is is diminishing massively and they're, they're trying to cling on to to the glory days uh and they've been trying to do that for decades uh and it's it's not really working so well for them i think the other thing that like comes up for me a lot too because i know your audience is mostly for people who are still in the group right uh it's a good question it's hard to know exactly who the audience is but personally i think i have more people who don't have connections to the moonies that are listening as opposed to people who do it's hard to get hard evidence on that but i've had a lot of people contact me saying hey i grew up in this other high control group and a lot of what you talk about really resonates with me or some people are like i grew up with some people who are in the moonies and i didn't realize how much it had affected me even though i didn't grow up in it directly um so um it's hard for me to tell uh exactly what the audience is okay i mean that's kind of reassuring What I was getting at is like, in addition to all this newer information that sort of reveals the the true purpose of the Unification Church, it's like something else that has been coming up a lot for me is like, there were waves of members leaving. There were like major scandals besides him going to prison. You know, it's like, in the same way that I left the UC because of a major scandal. Like, yes, I was fired from my position in the church, but I could have continued following all the rules. I could have gotten matched within the church and just found a different job within the church. Yeah. And that actually kind of was my plan. As much as I hate to admit it, getting fired, mm. being thrown out on the street and having to find an outside job for the first time in my life wasn't even enough for me to walk mm. away from the movement. What made me stop coming to those youth groups, even after I was fired, what made me feel like I had permission to start drinking and dating and going against all of the things we were taught in the divine principle is when one of Injun's sons broke into her office in on the sixth floor of the New Yorker hotel. Jesus. Guessed one of her old iPhone passwords because it was that easy. He found the birth certificate of the illegitimate child she had with that dude from the Netherlands that she hired to be the lead guitar player. He, he know, he'd been to the house that she'd paid for with church money in New Jersey, where she was living with her Netherlands musician boyfriend and having a secret baby. And he published that online for members to see. Mm. Because he was the same age as all of us, going on GPA, SDF, NGA, all of that. 
He got matched to a second generation. He found true friendship and belonging in church members. Hmm. And he was sick of his parents' lies. He was sick of living a lie. And that Wait, so was you're saying that birth certificate came from her own son? Yes. He was like, I am so motherfucking sick and tired of watching my own mom lie to everyone <laughs> on a daily basis. What a f- I'm putting what an a end f- to this shit. Fucking badass. So he broke Holy into her shit. office, broke into an iPhone, and published all of her dirty laundry online. And there was a major upheaval, like waves of people. Yeah, left. well, I remember the upheaval when the birth certificate went public, but I didn't know that that was, that that was the source of it. Yeah. And he called me personally and apologized for me being fired. Illegally. Holy shit. And what I'm saying is there have been multiple major scandals like that where yeah. waves of people are just like, okay, this is beyond cognitive dissonance. Yeah. I cannot call myself a sane human being and pretend I'm okay with this. Yeah. And that has happened multiple times yeah. over the past several decades. So if you're listening to this in 2023 and your parents are still up to their eyeballs in the Mooney's cult and they don't want to hear anything else. I need you to know that they are sitting on multiple scandals that broke the faith of other people who joined at the same time as them. There's something going on there that has made them okay with an unbelievable level of cognitive dissonance. So if your parents are still in the Moonies, just know that they are sitting on multiple faith-breaking scandals and they have filed that away into an emotionless, dissociated vacuum. And sometimes just learning all of the things that your first-gen parents know about and have decided they don't care about is, like, enough for second-gen to leave. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the, this, the, the interesting thing about this this conversation is it's kind of like it's basically a succession of faith, potentially faith-breaking scandals, like, one after the other after the other in, in a way that hasn't really been done on this show. Um, so... I'm curious what the outcome of that is going to be um, because it's never been, it's never been been put like back to back to back to back, like, like it has been in this, in this format. Uh, but that's a really good point. Yeah. Like if your parents are still in this shit, like know that like they will have heard about all, everything we've talked about here is something that they probably know or, or they've, they've heard about in some, in some way, but like they've sort of, they've inoculated themselves against, really trying to grapple with the ramifications of what all this shit means. Um, and it's messy, right? Because I still hate Eileen Barker. It's up and it's stuck. Like I hate that bitch. Yeah. And it's like the reason I started my podcast is because my college level anthropology textbook basically only quotes her and other people who were Fuck paid that. by the Fuck UC to do damage control. Right. Fuck, Fuck her. So no, hard. it's so obvious though. It is so obvious. Uh, because we just read about how the Daily Mail published an article lampooning the Unification Church immediately before Reverend Moon was sent to prison. And then back to back, all of a sudden, Eileen Barker publishes a whole book about how the Moonies are being unfairly discriminated. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually proof that because a tabloid is taking the stance they're taking, that it is a bullshit argument. Because I'm an academic. I'm from this prestigious university and I know better than a tabloid. And it was like, she was paid to be the contra voice against yeah. the daily mail tabloid story. And that is the only version of thought reform that is peddled in colleges 
to American citizens. They think thought reform is a conspiracy. Thought reform doesn't work. Meanwhile, anyone who joins the U.S. Army will tell you the U.S. has been using thought reform relentlessly. So does every other government. If you want a human being to feel comfortable and feel proud of doing violent actions they never normally would be okay with, the human body is very hackable. The U.S. military does this every day. They use sleep deprivation. They use thought-stopping cliches. They use time-wasting activities. They use magical manipulation with a much more patriotic theme to it to change the way people think by changing their environment and their actions first. But a good point to remember, as much as I hate Eileen Barker, Baker, I don't give a fuck. I hate her either way. Like, the point is, thought reform is not foolproof. There is Mm. no way for an outside force to completely kill your free will, to eliminate your ability to fight for yourself, protect yourself, and eventually break free of thought reform. So when I started speaking up online, I started getting DMs on all my different platforms, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, of people who joined the Unification Church for like a year, for like three months. And they might have even found their spouse at the same recruiting workshop and they left together. Mm. You know, I've also spoken to people, I've had people make entire video responses to me personally, saying like, I was hired security, hired staff, just a regular working class person living in New York. I was hired to be a staff member at one of these mass weddings. And I remember looking at all of these people, like, what's going to happen to them? And I'm so glad mm. that we found you. And I'm so glad oh, that that's you cool. out. So it's just like, wow. Yes, thought reform is real and it needs to be taken seriously because so far it hasn't been taken seriously ever. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not perfect. It's not foolproof. And thank God, like, none of these assholes have been able to figure out how to erase our free will. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm really glad you said that. Because, um, yeah, the free, your free will still is in there, right? No matter how how fucking caked on the bullshit is, there's still, there's still some original part of you in there. Um. And I just want to echo one point you made about like, like, so f- I just remember the, the Eileen Barker bullshit was like with shit that like my would be, would be talked about in my own house when, you know, my, 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 my parents would talk about, Oh, the, 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 this academic has written this book saying, Oh, we're just this new religious movement. It's not a cult. Like, um, so from the inside, that sort of, apologist yeah, it's totally cool it's totally fine like like that was that was used that was used against us internally like for like like the people who were who were raised within this that book was held up as an example of the unfair persecution of reverend moon um and it was used to further the cycle of abuse um so I'm glad you mentioned that, but I want to, I want to make the point that I wasn't just pointed to externally. It's also pointed to internally within the families, within the church. Uh, that it was because we spent good money on it. Uh, we paid for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And her okay. response to being called out on being bribed was the most narcissistic bullshit I've ever seen. Oh, what was it? I haven't seen the it. The response was essentially DARVO. Do you know what DARVO stands for? Yes. Deny, accuse, reverse victim and offender. That was her response. She was so like, she's... other people, she said other academics on the anti-cult side of things 
accept payment for public speaking events and charge people for deprogramming services. Wow. It's like, so, okay. okay, and then what? What does that have to do with you taking money from the people you're writing a book about? Like, those are two yeah. very different things. Yeah. But her official response was always like, well, they make money too. Yeah. Okay, okay. because they're providing okay. a service to paying customers. Yeah. Like, yeah. you are supposed to be uh, so are example. Yeah, so are you saying you are providing a service to, are you a, to a paying customer? Okay. Fine. Thanks let's talk about who that customer is and what the service is. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Let's be, let's be real here. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. No, I hadn't... Back in the eighties. So people didn't have yeah. social media. People didn't have podcasts. People couldn't like tweet their thoughts about any of this. Yeah. If it was published in a newspaper or in a journal, that's what the conversation was. Like you yeah. could have all these private thoughts that were valid but we live in such a better time now where like regular people can participate in these yeah. conversations. Yeah. She never would have been able to get away with that to the degree. No, that I don't think today. so. I think she, 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 she was living in the golden age for doing that shit when she did it. Um, yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard that, that she's actually trying to pass the crown on to someone else. There's another, uh, another person uh, I've kind of heard through the grapevine that she, yeah, she's trying to sort of, you know, pass the torch on um in in some ways anyway it's a story for another time um i think we should get wrapping up over here it's getting late over time for me uh is there any mentally trying to hold back my urge to be incredibly petty and like look up who her protege is and just like plan a whole oh dude i'll tell you right now that urge (laughs) okay well I'll i'll put this shit on the record i don't i don't fucking care so she runs so Eileen Barker, I'm going to look this shit up now. Uh, wait, uh, Eileen Barker runs a group called Inform, um, and uh, Inform, uh, like, like they do shit like, um, like interface with the UK Parliament about their their public, you know, position and stance on cults and shit like that, and. Um, Meanwhile, they're taking money from cults. Just let that shit sink in. Just that is what this shit is. Um, That's what this shit's about. Okay, I've gone to their website, Inform. We are an independent educational charity providing information about minority religions and sex, which is as accurate, up-to-date, and as evidence-based as possible. Mate, I have so many fucking, I have so many thoughts on this shit. Loser Um, protege, give me a name, point him out. Uh, uh, here we go about us. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to uh, talk. I just want to have some words. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay. Informs management committee. Uh, no, 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 no. I think it is. I'm going to get there. Okay. Honorary research fellows. I can see Eileen Barker's name some other folks there i then if we go here inform staff here we go this is it i think it's this person suzanne newcomb phd uh s-u-z-a-n-n-e-n-e-w-c-o-m-b-e phd uh she's worked at informed in various capacities since 2002 
Uh, so she's been there for a while and my, I've kind of heard through the grapevine that she's being sort of groomed by Barker to be like the next in line for this fucking racket where they take money from cults. So if you want to do an episode on that, you sh- that's you got what you need. You got what you need. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's this this woman, Suz- Suzanne Newcomb, honorary director. Uh, Great, more nightmare fuel. More, more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I kind of love that. Just leaving that there. So who knows, Suzanne, Eileen, maybe you'll be hearing from us in the future. Just, I hope that shit keeps you up at night, big time, because <laughs> you fucking deserve it, um, mate. And she's fucking professor Eileen Barker's professor emeritus at the London School of Economics. No, this is really funny because if you're reading fucking. the Wikipedia page, if that's where you're getting all of this, no, this is the Inform website. This is not oh. the Wikipedia page. Yeah. So Yanya Lalik is like the prominent anti-cult. Um, yeah academic yeah, yeah, yeah. was helping call out eileen barker and yeah. now i go to classes all the time provided by yanya lalik's organization yeah i sort of unofficially think of myself as one of yanya lalik's protégés because Good. i'm quoting her book all the time I'm you can her. you could be the suzanne newcomb <laughs> i'm a contra protege good 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 please do that Mm-hmm. We need you. We just know because it just pisses. I know we're trying to wrap up, but it's just like yeah. it pisses me off that even academia is not safe. I know, I know, right? Like there is yes. not a single accreditation that can immunize from being you from from being a sociopathic dumbass who takes bribes. Yeah. No one is safe. Yep. Everyone yep. is corruptible. It pisses me off, and then they use yeah. their academic prestige to shut people up. And end yeah. conversations. Yeah, totally. Fucking totally. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, uh, by the way, they they <laughs> they they cannot spell correctly on their website. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it here. Honorary research fellow. Guess how fellow is spelled? F E L L O. Professor Eileen Barker. Honorary Research Fellow, F-E-L-L-O. Okay. Um, yeah, this is... Anyway, yeah, think about maybe doing uh, doing, doing some digging on that. Um, that that might also dovetail. I, 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 I want to do... I think I might have mentioned this. I want to do this whole... I could do a whole season on the the enablers, basically. Um, and I haven't quite figured out the format, but certainly Barker and probably Newcomb are going to feature prominently in that. But then there's all the other enablers out there. I thought I might do like a series of three or four episodes on it, but I feel like it might be worth like a, a whole season on that topic. I don't quite know how to structure it, but that is something that I'm considering. So, um, a b- bottom line, like I'm with you, like these motherfuckers need to be exposed. Um, and I'm very supportive of any work that's done to do that. Um, okay. Enough on these, these motherfuckers. I'm closing this, this website down. Um, 
Uh, any parting words, Faith? You are allowed to be feisty. You're allowed to be a fucking bitch. And I just feel like I need to say that because part of what keeps kids trapped in abusive relationships with their brainwashed parents is thinking that I am not allowed to have a voice. I'm not allowed to hurt anyone's feelings. And apparently if I step even one toe out of line, if I even sneeze too loud, I've hurt somebody's feelings. And what I'm saying is you can absolutely be loud and still be lovable. In fact, it's probably going to be a lot easier for you to find people who make you feel good about yourself if you're honest about yourself rather than doing what you think you need to do to stay safe mm. in a really hostile, gross, cultic environment that was never designed for your benefit. Yeah, it certainly was not. It certainly was not. Uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, be loud, be lovable. Um, and yeah, you're allowed to be feisty. Fucking love it. I wish somebody had told me that. Yeah. It's like one of the one of the things that really woke me up was when somebody who cared about me, like a coworker at my new job, I told them that like I was gonna get in trouble for dating because I was supposed to be getting matched on the West Coast. And in this tradition that I still believed in at the time. I was at fault. I was supposed to be mm. ashamed for yeah. not being pure anymore because it was supposed to be proof of my unconditional love and loyalty to this cause of peace and love and true families by keeping myself pure. And I messed that up. And her immediate yeah. response was, well, isn't it proof of like a bigger heart and being more capable of loving someone if you can marry them after they've already had sex with other people? Like mm. you're telling me that like in this community that is supposed to be able to love the whole world better than Jesus did, they draw the line at like, if you have sex, I can't touch you anymore. And you're disgusting. Yeah, you're completely unlovable. Isn't like, that backwards? Yeah. And I just, yeah. I literally had nothing to say to that. Mm. because that train of thought is not even allowed to get past the formation stage on yeah. church property. That train of thought never would have left her mouth because they squash ideas that could even lead to that sentence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think we need to, I'm fading. I need to, I, I have an early day tomorrow with work. So I think we should wrap it up. Uh, it's getting, it's, it's still like mid, it's still like afternoon your time, but it's getting late over here. So no uh, I'm going to press stop recording, but I'm going to leave the session open. Hold on. fucking kidding me is this shit real is this what our fucking lives have been about what the actual fuck <laughs> what the actual fuck is happening the fuck happened to any of us and how the fuck do we live in a world that just allows this shit to happen 
That's my fucking true and unscripted reaction right now. Um, special fuck yous to Eileen Barker and Suzanne Newcomb and anyone else who has ever done anything with the Unification Church. If you have ever accepted money from them, not only are you furthering the suffering of families and children within the Unification Church – you are also supporting fascists and war criminals. So congratulations and fuck you very much. Um, may you fucking rot in hell, you pieces of shit. Fuck you. And thank you to Peter McGill for writing this article and tying all these historical pieces together. <laughs> And helping us kids who grew up in this environment to make a bit more sense of what the fuck happened to us. I'm still not happy about it, but I'm happy this article was written. So thank you. You know, there's definitely gratitude is due there. Oh, God damn. Just uh, fuck all these bastards who do this dumb shit speaking at these events. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, fuck all of them. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Thank you again to Faith for getting involved. I hope you all enjoyed your drinks and your joints, and I hope you enjoy, continue to enjoy them now. Um, I've got more good shit coming. Um, thank you again, Faith, for doing this with me. Take care, y'all, and I'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>